Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. Whether you attend our 10 a.m. gathering on Sundays here in Denver, are just checking us out, or listen every week from far away, our hope is that by engaging with Scripture, together we can explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. To get connected or find out more about what's going on in and around our community, you can visit our website at denverchurch.org or download our app by searching Denver Community Church in the App Store. And if you want to financially support the healing work we are doing as we invest in our community while setting aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Know that spaces like ours can only exist through the radical generosity of those who call DCC home. Thank you for being here. Let's get to the teaching. Well, good morning. Um, Could we turn up the lights just a bit? I'd love to see your beautiful faces. Yes, good morning. Good to see all of you on this holiday weekend. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't, there's a Bible beneath the chair in front of you or near you, and you can use that. Uh, if, you've, if you're with us routinely, you know uh, we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke. And, uh, but every summer, we take some time and we hit pause on whatever we're normally doing, and then we spend our time focusing on something else. And over the next several weeks, we're going to focus on 57 words that are commonly known as the Lord's Prayer or if you're from the Catholic tradition or a high church tradition or a sacramental tradition, the Our Father, as they call it. And in the original language which Matthew wrote the gospel, there's only 57 words in the prayer that Jesus gives found in Matthew 6. And it's a prayer that focuses on our past, forgive us our sins, on our present, give us our daily bread, and on our future, uh, deliver us or keep us from testing or temptation. And every summer we do this because we invite some friends in from around town and from around the country. We have several of our staff that will step in and teach as well. Uh, And then one of the questions that often comes up for me is, well, what are you doing uh, when you're not preaching? And that's a great question. So to quote the Irish uh, prophet and poet, Paul Hewson, it's hard to listen while you preach. And so what I do is I spend my time during the week, yes, I do work during the week, not just one day a week, Uh, and I do all of the teaching overviews, and so by the time that we get to mid-August, we will be planned out with our teaching overviews through the end of 2024, Um, and one of the reasons we do that is there is a like very deep-seated fear in every single preacher that I know, and that is the blank page on Monday morning, the day after you preach a sermon, especially if it's a good sermon. Because then you're like, how am I going to do that again? And one of the reasons we plan far out is so that we don't land on Monday morning with a blank page, but that we can look ahead. And so that as we read articles, as we have experiences, whatever it is, we're able to, in some senses, always be preparing for the teachings that are coming toward us. 
And so it allows us to forecast and understand where we're going and helps all of us on staff. So that's what I'll be doing. Uh, and I'm excited for these next several weeks because we have some great voices that will be here to speak about these 57 words. So with that said, let's pray and then we'll jump into the teaching. God, we come to you this morning and we're grateful uh, that you've given us a life that allows us to be here in this room alongside one another as we all together are alongside you. Guide us in this time, we ask, through your Spirit, in whose name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, this is what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching his disciples. There's a large crowd around them listening in. And this is what he says in verse 5 of Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now this prayer, these words, are the most well-known prayer in the Christian tradition. And in fact, every wisdom tradition, every religious tradition has prayers that are central to them. And whether you're religious, whether you're a part or we're a part of another great wisdom tradition or a part of the tradition of Christianity, or maybe you're here and you say, well, I'm spiritual, not religious, the reality is prayer is central to the life of people who consider themselves religious or consider themselves spiritual. And if you're a part of the Christian tradition, this is not the first time you've heard these words. Prayer just seems to be normal for people who are religious or who are spiritual. And as I was thinking through this time that we're going to spend this summer on these words, and as I was thinking through the teaching today, I had this question that kept coming up for me, and it was this, why do we pray? I mean, was there a moment where someone for the first time thought, I'm going to speak to this God who is unseen, as Jesus says, and then it began to catch on? People were like, I'm not sure what Harold's doing, but his eyes are closed and his head is bowed quite often. I think we should ask. And then they just began to, why do we pray? If someone walked up to you and said, do you pray? And you said, yes. And they said, why? What is it that you would say? What's the purpose, we might ask? What is it about this ongoing conversation with the divine, with God, 
that humans have been participating in for thousands and thousands of years. And as I thought about these questions and as I studied these words, I began realizing I think Jesus begins giving us hints, both in the prelude to the prayer and in the prayer itself. When Jesus begins talking about prayer, the first thing he says is he talks about rewards. And so if you ask some people, well, why do you pray? They say, we might say something like, well, I want to tell God what I want or I want to ask God for what I need in hopes that God will give it to me. And if God doesn't give it to me, well, then God must know something that I don't and I'm sure there's some sort of hidden blessings in the mix For some of you country music fans, Garth Brooks says, I thank God for unanswered prayers. Like his wife is the result of an unanswered prayer. It sounds really good in the song, but if you start thinking about it, not really the best thing to say to your wife. I'm glad God didn't answer that prayer because you turned up. Real romantic. Just keep singing about rodeos. But is that what it is? Is it about asking God for something. Now, some come to these words and actually say, yeah, this is exactly what it's about. Jesus is talking about rewards. He's talking about asking God for what you need. And so one of the reasons we pray, or maybe for some, the central reason we pray is to ask God for things. But keep in mind, Jesus uses the word reward twice, not once. The first time he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. He's speaking here of the people who are outwardly outwardly religious, but inwardly are dead. The word hypocrite actually comes from the word, Greek word for actor. Someone who puts a mask on and who's playing a part. And he says they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners and pray. This is basically first century virtue signaling. If you don't know what virtue signaling is, just go to a little site called Instagram.com. And you will see people there who like, for example, during the height of the pandemic, were always taking selfies with their masks on, and then the comments below were shaming people who were inside their own car alone without a mask on. And Jesus says, if this is your motivation, People will see you, and people will say, oh, look at them praying. That's your reward. Maybe today he would say, if your motivation on Instagram is to show everybody all the great things that you're doing, all of those likes, well, that's your reward. See, Jesus is speaking about the motivation in prayer here. Are you praying because you want people to see you pray and think that you're holy? Think that you have some connection to God? Because if that's what you want and you put it on display and you perform for others and they applaud, congratulations, you've got what you wanted. He says, or what you could do is trust that you are already seen by God. And in that case, what you might do is you might go to a private place alone and have an intimate conversation, not to be seen, but because you know you are already seen and that God who sees you will reward you. It doesn't say what the reward is, but it does speak toward what's your motivation, to be seen by others or to recognize that you are already seen by God and can have an intimate conversation with him. 
You see, when you read it as Jesus contrasting two motivations, it's no ironclad guarantee about what you will or won't get. It's about your motivation in praying in the first place. And then the second piece or insight he gives, he says, and when you pray, don't go on babbling like pagans. Now, this is a reference to a lot of prayer that existed in Jesus' day in even more primitive times and ancient times before him, and I would suggest prayer that still happens today. When he speaks of this babbling like pagans, in the ancient world, there were all sorts of like magical, we might say incantations, things you could say, ways you could pray, acts you could perform, all in an attempt to appease the gods. And so when you would plant your seed in the spring and you needed to make sure there was going to be enough sun and enough rain so the crops would grow and you and your family and your tribe wouldn't go hungry, there were all sorts of specific religious rites that you would participate in. And the belief in the ancient world was you really had to make sure you got these gods' attention because they were either high up on a mountain or somewhere beyond the stars. Or as some of us imagine today, this old white man sitting on a throne who's very distant from us. And if we don't pray just right, well then, these gods won't hear us. I actually grew up hearing that if we didn't keep, quote, a short account of sins with God, God would not listen to our prayers. And now if you grew up and you acted like I did in church, meaning just really had a hard time obeying all of the rules that people gave you, if you were the kid, you know, that everyone in the church was praying for like I was, you couldn't keep track of all the sins that you committed every day. And by the way, these aren't big sins, because if you grew up in a fundamentalist environment, like saying darn is pretty serious. Saying freaking, well, now we really know what you meant, because you're suggesting something about the grandfather of all bad words, aren't we? And so you had to go through this list. I was told, if you come to God before you confess and ask forgiveness for all your sins, God will not listen to a word you say. So every time I came to God, there was like this bargaining agreement and some sort of appeasement, like, hey, I'm really sorry. I would even say, and for all the things I've done that I'm not even aware of, I'm sincerely sorry. This is this idea of babbling like pagans. It's not an intimate relationship. It's a cautious standoff with an angry deity, and you need to make sure that all that stuff is taken care of. Jesus says, no, when you pray, don't do that. Your father, your mother, your parents already knows what you want. It's this picture of a child who really desperately and deeply wants something, and the parent knows the child wants something, but they just want the joy of hearing the child say, can I have that? Of course you can. I think Jesus gives a picture of this in the prodigal son parable when the older son is angry about the father welcoming the younger son back and he says to him, everything I have is already yours. You don't have to bargain. You don't have to appease the gods. Everything is yours. 
You see, Jesus is not only talking about one's motivation as to why we pray, but he's also talking about the way in which we come to God. Why we pray is not to appease the gods. This God is already appeased. This God doesn't need appeasing because this God is love. So just come and talk about what you need because God already knows. And it's then that Jesus begins praying. Now, some might look at the prayer and say, well, I get what you're saying, but in the prayer, there's a lot of requests. I mean, bread, forgiveness, temptation. These are requests. These are saying, God, this is what I need. Yes, it is a request. But it also is a recognition that all of those things are a gift. And gifts cannot be retaken, taken. Gifts can only be given and received. And so in doing the asking, what it really is is a recognition of we can't get these things on our own. We need the good, gracious God to give us these things. In some ways, it's a statement of surrender. I can't do this. I need you to do this for me. In this viewpoint, this idea of surrender, this idea of not having to appease a God but going to a God intimately, this idea that it's a relationship with God in which you recognize you are seen by him, this is actually a very Jewish way of thinking. And it's very helpful to remember Jesus was Jewish. And I know that's not necessarily like a, you know, big, massive observation But oftentimes, we import Jesus into our world. And so Jesus becomes a good Christian kid with blonde hair and blue eyes. You know, he looks like he's from the Netherlands or something. But Jesus was a first century Middle Eastern Palestinian Jew. And what he's saying about prayer here and the way he talks or the way he prays is in fact very Jewish. It's a recognition that God is not far off. God does not need to be appeased. Prayer is not about performance, but about intimacy. And it's ultimately about surrender. The famed rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel reflects on this. And these are the words that he says. Your eyes see me. (laughs) Music. Oh, wait, okay. We do not step out of the world when we pray. We merely see the world in a different setting. In prayer, we shift the center of living from self-consciousness to self-surrender. God is the center toward which all forces tend. God is the source, and we are the flowing of God's force, the ebb and flow of God's tides. Prayer takes the mind out of the narrowness of self-interest and enables us to see the world in the mirror of the holy. We do not feel that we possess a magic power of speaking to the infinite, as in babbling like pagans. We merely witness the wonder of prayer, the wonder of humans addressing themselves to the eternal. Contact with God is not our achievement. It is a gift coming down to us from on high like a meteor rather than us rising up like a rocket. It's shifting the center of living from self-consciousness to self-surrender. It's recognizing that it's all a gift. It's recognizing that it's communion with the eternal. That's a lot different than, God, I'd really like you to get me this job. 
That's a lot different than, well, I think they like me and it would be really great for us to have a second date. It's shifting our center toward God who is the center. I think this is what we see with Jesus when he prays the night before he's crucified in the garden. If you know the story, he has the last supper with his disciples and then he goes to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he doesn't just say, God, get me out of this mess. He does say that. I mean, that's a loose translation. He says it more poetically, God, if it's possible for this cup to pass by me, this cup of suffering, then please let that happen because Jesus knew what happens to people who defy an empire. They get crucified. And Jesus would have seen that in his lifetime. He knew what was coming. And he said, I don't want this. But just like he says here, your will be done. Not what I want, but I'm up for whatever you have in mind. Not what I want, but what you want. This is a shift in the center of living. I know what I want, but I'm going to shift my center toward you, God, who is the center of all things. Whatever you want, I'm up for it. This is the kind of way that Jesus saw the world. This is the kind of heart we see in Jesus' prayer. That all of a sudden the center of our life isn't built around us, but it's built around God and God's heart and God's desires, not only for us, but for the world. What kind of change could that bring to our culture, our narcissistic, self-centered culture? If all of a sudden we realize we are not the center of the universe, We are simply the ebb and flow of God's tides. And we shift the center from ourselves to the heart of God. Walter Wink speaks about what kind of power this could generate, and this is what he says. He says, prayer changes the world and changes what is possible. A new force field appears that hitherto was only potential. A space opens in the praying person permitting God to act without violating human freedom. The change in even one person thus changes what God can thereby do in that world. When we pray, we're not sending a letter to a celestial white house where it is sorted among the piles of others. We are engaged, rather, in an act of co-creation in which one little sector of the universe rises up and becomes translucent, incandescent, a vibratory center of power that radiates the power of the universe. And then he dropped the mic. What a way to talk about prayer. A vibratory center that radiates the power of the universe. This is cosmic language he's using for something that is very common for religious people that we call prayer. When he uses this kind of cosmic language, part of me thinks, yes, he should. He should be talking about the universe. Here's an interesting thing about the universe, among many endless interesting things about the universe. In 1929, there was a fellow named Edwin Hubble. Some of you are like, oh, that's where they got the name for the telescope. Yes. 
1929, he was looking through a telescope, and he began doing all of these equations to measure the distance of particular galaxies and how far away they were from Earth. And what he began finding over the course of his study is that these galaxies kept getting further and further and further away from Earth. And so he came up with the discovery that the universe is expanding. Now, Einstein had long said that the universe can, in fact, expand, and there can be, be new places in the universe. It has the power to do that. And as mind-blowing as that was, the world of science made the assumption, well, it's probably because there was a bang and everything's going out, but it's got to be slowing down. Until the 1990s, when three other scientists discovered it's not slowing down, this expansion of the universe is speeding up. And it's not like it's stretching out like you would stretch out a rubber band. It's actually expanding into infinite nothingness. And you might say, what do you mean infinite nothingness? Like, what's beyond the universe? And the answer is nothing. There is no existence beyond the universe. So when it expands, it's not expanding into nothing. When it expands, it's creating a new something. Which means the universe that you woke up in this morning is different than the universe you fell asleep in last night. That things are expanding. Creation, as it were, is still happening every single moment of the day. There is, yes. <laughs> One person whose mind is blown is like, I like where this guy's going. <laughs> the rest of you are like, you lost me at infinite nothingness. In other words, there are places that exist now in the universe, there's existence now, it didn't exist yesterday. And I wonder... Like, what if that's why we pray? What if the reason that we pray is to open up a space within us that's never existed before in the universe, saying, God, I, I invite you in here to do your work in me and through me and out into the world. That through prayer, we could actually radiate the same power that's expanding the universe and speeding up its expansion. That through prayer, there can be a new space within us, just like there is way out there, but now it can happen right in here. I mean, what kind of space had to open up within Jesus to become someone who would say, not what I want, but I'm up for whatever you have in mind? The same kind of space that opened up in the hearts and the minds of the early church when they were being actively persecuted. Who, under the threat of death, said, yeah, I understand what you're threatening me, but death has lost its power, so go ahead and do what you're going to do. Who, like the famed Bishop Polycarp, when faced with a burning pyre of wood, they said to him, deny Jesus and we won't put you on that. And he said, 86 years I've served my king, how could I deny the one who's been faithful to me now? What, what kind of space opens up in people like that? What if next week, when you come back here, you can look at somebody and say, 
the universe is not the same universe as it was when we were here last week. And the back, I know, because there's this confusing explanation that fell short about the universe expanding. No, 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 no. There's a new space within me for God to live and work within me and through me into the world. I'm radiating the power of the universe. How about the next time you sit down at lunch or brunch after this with some friends and the food comes and somebody bows their head and be like, let's get ready to radiate the power of the universe. And we'll be like, what are you talking about? Be like, I mean, let's pray. (laughs) What if that's what this is? Do you see how when we just pray for little things or when we ignore it altogether, all of a sudden you begin realizing, my goodness, we are missing out on something unbelievably powerful. Let me make this practical for a second. One of the things Jesus talks about in these words is forgiveness. Now, I've been a pastor for nearly 25 years, and one thing I know is this. The last thing people want to talk about on a Sunday morning is about forgiveness, especially when it comes to forgiving others. You would rather me talk about money than forgiveness. And since that's the case, if you would like to give, you can dial... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Forgiveness. Here's what I know about forgiveness. I've been hurt enough over the years. This is what I know about forgiveness. I can't do it. Because when people hurt me, you know what? It hurts. And when people hurt me, you know what I want to do? Beat the life out of them. I'm just being honest. And some of you are hearing like, oh, I've never had those thoughts. Well, then you don't have a pulse and you're lying. (laughs) I've once heard it said that one of the best proofs for the existence of God is that humans have the capacity to forgive. Because it's beyond us and it's supernatural. And what I've learned over the years is that when people wound me, I can think all day about, oh yeah, I should forgive him, I should forgive him, I should forgive him, but it doesn't work. What I begin doing is saying, God, I need to to give all of this pain, all of this wound and the individual who did it to you. And I need you in the meantime to open up something in me that's big enough to contain all of that and not seek retribution or vengeance against the people who've done it. Create a space in me that doesn't exist for that person, for that wound, for that pain, so that I can radiate your love and forgiveness and grace into the world in which I live. What about all the biggest conversations and issues and injustices in our world? I hear people say, God, we pray for those seeking asylum. What if we began saying, hey, God, open up a space in me that's big enough so that I might think creatively about how to respond to those who are crossing our borders seeking asylum? What if instead of asking God to do something out there, we began asking God to do something in here and we became those who were the responses and the answers to the prayers that others are praying? Why do we pray? Maybe we pray to open up a space within us in this ever-expanding universe, a place that's never existed before, inviting God to work in us so that we can work with God to bring his life, energy, grace, forgiveness, and heart 
into this world. Let's pray together. God, open within me, open within us a space for you to do your work so that we, like your son Jesus, could pray with conviction, your will be done in my life on this earth as it is in heaven. That we might pray like Jesus, this is what I want, but it's not about what I want, it's about what you want, and I'm up for whatever you have in mind. Would you allow us to sit with these words, with these ideas, and contemplate what space do you wish to open up in us? We pray these things together in the strong name of Jesus, and all my friends said, amen.